0: welcome to the silver screen guide podcast where we discuss films from every genre so sit back relax and enjoy the podcast today we are discussing ghost in the shell no not the 1995 anime the 2017 live action film this is your co-host corbin
1: i'm alan and it feels like it's been a long time since we recorded, but to those who are listening, probably not, because we took a three-week break. But we recorded three three weeks in advance to get to this point for uh, vacation and other things, other like.
0: Well, it's good to be back recording, listeners. You didn't miss us at all because yeah. the episodes have just been coming out as scheduled. Right, but we are we are rounding out our retrospective series for Ghost in the Shell. With this live action movie, it's interesting because usually Ghost in the Shell movies take roughly a decade to hit theaters, but this one uh, only took two years since the previous theatrical installment. They're very, very different because the 2015 Ghost in the Shell, the new movie, was this kind of weird appendage to the Arise TV series. Nevertheless, it still was a theatrical film, you could say. But this one is a big-budget Hollywood movie with s- at least one big name attached to it.
1: Yeah, about one big name, uh, one name that ended up stirring some controversy. We'll get into that in a sec. But, yeah, Scarlett Johansson, or a nickname uh, yes. was brought on. It, I heard that it was originally going to be – well, they were thinking about bringing in Margot Robbie, but then she chose Suicide
0: Squad instead. Uh. I- I don't know if that was I don't know if that was a good choice or a bad choice. I I don't know.
1: Well, I know that it made more money than this. So maybe a good choice well, in
0: terms of financial go.
1: gain, but not necessarily well, in terms of
0: quality. Well, I guess we'll find out. I mean, who was just nominated for the Academy Award? That's true. <laughs> oh, I don't like that statement.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Ghost in the Shell came out March 31st, 2017. It is It was directed by Rupert Sanders and this is actually his second major motion picture. His first was Snow White and the Huntsman. So, of course, you give him Ghost in the Shell, I guess, for the second movie.
1: Right. Yeah, that's always a good idea.
0: Yeah. Anyways, this movie, I guess, technically, they pared it down to... They gave three people the writing credits. This movie was written by a bunch of people, but I guess technically it was written by Jamie Moss, William Wheeler, who I believe has worked on Ray Donovan, the TV show, Lego Ninjago movie, the Disney movie, Queen of Katwi. Uh, Okay, also Aaron Kruger, who did Scream 3, The Ring, Hmm. Ring 2, Brothers Grimm, Transformers 2 through 4, and the new Tim Burton movie, Dumbo. Interesting. I don't understand why some of people get to write certain movies. Like <laughs> I don't just, either.
1: <sighs> I don't either. I yeah, like you were saying, there's a bunch of people on this. I think I think one of the I think it was the the one of these screenplay writers or the screenplay, screenplay writers said that there was like six or seven people that they were thinking about to help write this movie. There were a lot of writers that went through, and only about a handful of them got the writing credit, of course, but. Yeah, this went through quite a number of writers before settling on whoever we got at the end.
0: We don't have any writers that were really associated with the anime or with the manga. I don't really understand that choice. I know uh, Mamoru Oshii, the director, they did bring him in for a little bit just to kind of get his thoughts on what they were doing. And he was really hunky-dory about it. He said, I think Scarlett Johansson is doing awesome. And I told Rupert Sanders, don't worry about my movie because it's just amazing and super beloved. You just do your own thing. And he was really cool about it.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of nice that the director just essentially gave up his property and said, yeah, you do what you need to do with it, what you feel is right for it to go, whichever way it needs to go. And... Don't worry about what my thoughts are. Essentially, he just is telling him, yeah, do what you need to do. And that's quite an interesting thing for a director of a, yeah, as you said, a beloved at least one, maybe two movies, uh, at least the first one, would say something like that when he's had such a cultural impact with at least the first one, which is kind of nuts.
0: The movie stars Scarlett Johansson, Pillow Asbach. Beat Takeshi Kitano, Juliette Binoche, Michael Pitt, Chin Han, and Peter Ferdinando.
1: Yeah, so safe to say that really Scarlett Johansson is the only recognizable name, at least to an American audience. I'm not entirely sure how popular the rest of these guys are, but yeah, Scarlett Johansson is definitely the biggest name here.
0: I honestly feel like I've seen Juliette Binochet in something and I think it's Chin Han he is the bad guy for kind of the first act of the Dark Knight that he did okay. with it in Hong Kong gotcha okay
1: that's right yeah I forgot about him yeah he uh he's in a number of American films uh he's in quite a quite a few Dark Knight as you just said is one of the big ones that he's been in he's been in quite a number of more not necessarily lead roles but like definitely secondary roles
0: the I did want to mention the music is done by Lauren Balfe because the music was quite influential in the original movie. Right. We'll talk about what we think of the score for this one. But, I I mean, Lorne Balfe, he's done a lot of TV shows. He did the score for the video game, Beyond Two Souls. I think this is the first time we've ever discussed someone's score that has also scored a video game.
1: Yeah, I... You, I mean, there are, it's not uncommon for pretty big name directors to go on and do, uh, and score a video game. Hans Zimmer did Modern Warfare. I know at least he did two, at least the main theme. Uh, Ooh. and then there are a number of directors that do end up doing video game music. So that's not very uncommon. We just don't ever talk about it because at least this far, there hasn't really been a video game that we've really needed to mention the score that we reviewed.
0: I didn't know that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. It's, not you don't really necessarily notice it, but it is a thing.
0: I should also note Lauren Balf was not the only composer for this soundtrack. Also, Clint Manzel, he did oh. he did some more famous things. He did Black Swan, Requiem for a Dream, and the Matthew McConaughey movie Sahara?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> I have seen two of the three of those that you've, that you've talked about. Uh yes, he does a great job in Requiem for a Dream. Um I wouldn't can't necessarily say the same thing for Sahara, but he's yeah. a he's a pretty good composer if you get him in the right context. Um, from what I've heard, not everything of his I would consider to be very good, but in the right context, he does very good. Like "Rooking for a Dream" is great. It does a really he does a really good job with that. I think that may be his
0: first project. I couldn't understand why this movie needed two composers. I know in one of our previous uh, reviews, I think it's. Uh, no it might be the most recent review actually up right now uh as the, of this recording for Halloween H2O they a guy did the whole composition for the movie they didn't like it really so they pretty much brought somebody in to right, right basically change all of it i don't think this is the case with this movie i just you usually don't see you see you can see multiple writers even sometimes two directors but usually not two composers
1: right now i do know that Hans zimmer has multiple times done projects with one or more compos one at least one composer. He did it with Blade Runner twenty forty nine. That was him and oh, I forget his name currently. But oh, Matthew Wallfish that's his name. He hmm. did they co wrote their score together. Uh, Dark Knight. He brought in, I think it's Harry Gregson Williams, but don't quote me on that. Either that or John Powell. And also with Dark Knight Rises. So Hans Zimmer is known for kind of collaborating with different composers. But he's really the biggest one that you would see doing with somebody else. Normally, as you were saying, you don't really see two composers on a project. It is not necessarily uncommon, but it's not something that you see
0: all the time. Mm -hmm. Also, the cinematographer is uh, Jess Hall, who did the beloved movie Transcendence with Johnny Depp. Ah, yes, that
1: classic movie that everyone remembers.
0: And the spectacular now... Oh, okay, Which I okay. can't stand, I haven't
1: seen it. I, I know I've definitely heard of it, but I haven't seen it.
0: Well, this Ghost in the Shell holds a 6.4 on IMDb.
1: Well, it's pretty close to uh, the new movie.
0: But Ghost in the Shell, the new movie, holds a 6.8. Right.
1: So, <laughs> yeah...
0: This- th- this movie, um,
1: I do know that it was met with some criticism before and when its release date came about for multiple different things. But yeah, six point six point six, as you said, not that good. Uh, not that good for a Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, but I think it'll make a little bit more sense, at least in my mind, when we get into it a bit later.
0: Yeah, it is the lowest rated on IMDb Ghost in the Shell movie. Yeah, even even compared to the new movie, the new movie is still higher rated. So, right. and considering the Ghost in the Shell 1995 anime has an 8. This is quite the drop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, quite the drop. Uh it's it's kind of been like a staircase so far. It's one is the yeah. highest, then two, then the new movie, then the 2017 remake or slash sequel or prequel or whatever. Yeah, it's been a staircase. I can't say for that one movie that we didn't review that's paired with uh, Stand Alone Complex. But, yeah, they've just kind of gone down
0: in score at the least. Yeah, technically, Standalone Complex, the TV series, has like an eight and a half. It's like the highest Ghost in the Shell thing. Right,
1: right. The TV shows typically get a very high score compared to... They're compared to really any movie.
0: So as for audiences, for the cinema score, it got a B. So audiences were pretty lukewarm. Maybe yeah. that's being generous.
1: It's. It looks like it was just, for them at least, it was mediocre. I right. mean, it sounds like it's high, it but I mean, looking at every other cinema score rating that we've talked about, usually they're in the A and A plus range if it's yes. a movie that, audiences like if it's not so much that they like it ends up in the B's or lower. You, you that that's it's kind of funny that CinemaScore has an A to F range but normally as far as we know they've been in the A to B range. Nothing really past that.
0: The budget for this movie was 110 million dollars, but if you combine it with advertising costs, I read it was closer to 250 million dollars.
1: Well, Can't say I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, this is helmed by Paramount and DreamWorks, uh, Ghost in the Shell, which they know is already influential enough as it is alone. I can see why they sunk a bunch of money into making this movie that I definitely see the incentive to do so.
0: Well, let's talk about the box office. For a big budget movie like this, I they were really banking on this movie connecting well with audiences. Audiences, honestly, they can like their sci-fi here in the US of A with their Star Wars, or they can hate it with Jupiter Ascending. It's just kind of anyone's guess. I don't know. So audiences didn't like this movie they didn't vote for it with their dollars you could say uh domestically this movie grossed 40.5 million ooh
1: not even half of the budget before we counted marketing uh, yeah ooh that that does hurt that really hurts
0: i mean could we call that a box office bomb
1: oh yeah that's a bomb that's totally a bomb
0: so in the foreign At least market domestically. Yes, at least domestically. So in the foreign market, 129 million for a worldwide total of 169.8 million. It did make back its budget. It did make a profit worldwide, but for a movie with a $110 million budget and it didn't even crack 200 million, that's bad. Very bad.
1: Yeah. Usually I know we've talked about this. I know we talked about this many times before. Usually you want to make at least double your budget in the box office. Didn't it? got above it but did not go double. It did not do that. Which yeah, this I would consider and many would probably consider a pretty big flop, at least in the States. Forty million is very bad because that is the target audience, and the target audience really just seemed to not care for it very much. Worldwide did usually usually does bring in a bit more money. Um but yeah. US of A was not very happy. Not very I guess they weren't very interested in this movie. Maybe that's due to the more cyberpunk aesthetic to it, because really anything cyberpunk like Blade Runner never does really all that well in the States. Star Wars isn't necessarily cyberpunk, but it's definitely sci fi. I wonder if that's it, just because it is so dirty and we don't like that. We, as Americans, our culture is very much geared towards utopia and M- movies like Star Wars are geared more towards that.
0: Opening weekend audiences preferred to go see the Boss Baby. So oh goes- no! Y- you know what? The well, Boss Baby opening weekend grossed fifty million dollars. Great! It grossed ten million more than this movie grossed in the U.S. alone on opening weekend.
1: Pretty slow weekend. <laughs> Oof! Yeah, now that that's pretty well, rough.
0: It, it is opening weekend. It came in at number three with eighteen point six million. The Boss oh, Baby man. grossed fifty million, and Beauty and the Beast, which was in week three, grossed forty five million. Going into week two, it only grossed seven point four million, dropped sixty point four percent of its gross, oh, and came in at number five.
1: Yeah, so I think it's clear. This I think it's pretty. Uh, solid enough evidence to say that this was not in the minds of an American audience. At least, well, not in the minds of the Americans who were going to see this movie. They could care less, which is un well unfortunate. Maybe we'll we'll talk about that.
0: Right. The one thing this does kind of signal is I just I don't see very many. Japanese anime movies being made as live action Hollywood films. I know the one that's always talked about, that's been talked about for about a decade now is Akira. Cause so I remember Zac Efron was originally going to be the lead character in that movie right. a very long time ago. And now everybody's like, Oh man, let's, I just don't, I don't see it happening.
1: Yeah. And the reason I was really thinking about this the reason I think part of the reason is that this we didn't do so hot in the box office would have been because of that whitewashing controversy that came about when it was announced, and we probably should get into that in a sec. But yeah, when you cross cultures like this, uh, with a movie that is very much geared with a Japanese culture and mindset. When they're writing it and Japanese themes and imagery and things like that, it's kind of hard to port that to a more American style and try and keep that style, but also try and catering, try and cater to the American audience. It, and I'd say not trying to give my hand away too much here, but I would say clearly that it not, doesn't exactly work very well. Uh, we'll probably get, we'll get into why in here in a sec, but yeah. It's not something that works very well, it seems like. At least not with these two cultures because they are quite different in the way that their aesthetic or themes or things like that are.
0: It's been uh, a long time coming, though. This wasn't just something they decided to pop up with. So it's been about nine years or so in the works. Uh, That was said by the producer Avi Arid. So apparently in 2008, DreamWorks who handled the U.S. theatrical distribution for Ghost in the Shell 2. And apparently Steven Spielberg, I I don't know if that is completely uh, true, but I do know the DreamWorks part is true. I don't know what St- uh, Spielberg's involvement with it was, but uh, they did get the rights to adapt the original manga into a live-action movie, and it was on January 24th, 2014 that they finally got a director, which was Rupert Sanders. And the reason there's a six year gap is because the script was going through so many writers.
1: Right. Yeah. We mentioned this earlier. It went through about six or seven writers before eventually settled on whoever we have now. So yeah, we've talked about this before where the script just kind of gets handed around for a while before it finally gets put into post or pre-production and starts actually going somewhere. Yeah, we've, we've, we've talked about this before in, I think, one of the Halloween movies.
0: I did find it interesting. A lot of the people uh, watched some behind-the-scenes special features. A lot of the actors really did try to get themselves into the character, especially the villain, Kuzi. Said he ate, like, raw food. He boxed, did Pilates, filled notebooks of backstory that he created for his character, He created paintings of his character to immerse himself in the role. Uh, The guy who played Batu just always kept the manga with him. Uh, They all seem like really friendly people, and I applaud them for really trying to get into their characters. Right. I I found that interesting.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. I mean... It doesn't sound like they went full method actor, but yeah, they, it's definitely clear that they're trying to embody these characters that have been portrayed before, and they I think in their minds they were kind of aware, at least with Bateau, uh, he was kind of, I, I wouldn't imagine that he was very much aware that he's going to have to fill some pretty big shoes <laughs> because of the anime that have come before this, or I guess this isn't technically an anime, but before this movie.
0: And you know from what I got in the special features everybody involved with this movie was really excited about it and they really did want to try their best to bring the manga to life in a live-action way. Rupert Sanders seemed like a really nice genuine guy and like he was because he said he kept the manga with him. He took a lot of still images from all of the movies and looked at those kept referring back to those he tried to recreate the world while still doing his own thing so i do like to hear that this wasn't just a cash grab and clearly they didn't that didn't work out anyway so right. uh, i was glad to hear at least there was passion behind this
1: right yeah for all we know it could just be that uh it was more of a face that was put on but yeah i mean even i can kind of see that it's, this isn't necessarily your average run of the mill uh, action flick. There was more thought put into this than what we normally would see from movies like Skyscraper, which I recently saw, or uh, movies like that. Kind of just generic action movies that are there for the sake of enjoyment. This one has a bit more to it. How much more? We'll get into that. But, yes, that is interesting to see that at least we have that, which is not necessarily as normal as it probably should be.
0: Now, as for the whole whitewashing controversy, I was never I, – I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And from what I understand, uh, many of those in Japan didn't think it was that big of a deal either either. Uh, Also, I gotta say, Major, in the original anime, I never thought she looked explicitly Japanese to begin with. I mean, a few of the characters like, oh, clearly, but many of the characters didn't. So that's why I didn't think uh, Scarlett Johansson really looked too off from the one in the anime.
1: Right, yeah, and I'm kind of there with you. It didn't necessarily bother me too much. I guess I was more bothered that we were remaking Ghost in the Shell in america that was the part that bothered me because i had a feeling that it would end up just a generic action movie uh but that fear aside before seeing the movie yeah this never really bothered me too much it it's kind of one of those things where thing that were white folk tend to think that something is racist in when in reality in the person who's being discriminated in terms of the white person's mind is not necessarily so. Because I just find it interesting that Japan was just like, oh, why is this controversial? They were – since it's the one – since we're the ones who are pretty much representing their culture or pulling their works, uh, you would think that they would be the ones that were – were thought they were thinking this is controversial. It was the other way around. We, as Americans, were like, this is controversial – uh, and the and the Jip, Japanese were just definitely like, what are you, what are you, crazy? This is not something that we thought was very controversial. That, I think, is very interesting in and of itself. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's kind of silly. I understand, and I would even say that this movie does a pretty good job of, even, yes, even though our main character, our main lead is primarily white, everything else surrounding this movie is definitely, at the very least, paying respects towards its original uh, culture that comes from.
0: And even from the lips of Mamoru Oshii himself, the director and very influential person for the original Ghost in the Shell, he said that Scarlett Johansson, this is his words, went above and beyond what he could imagine anyways. So that's pretty high praise coming from him. So I think as long as he's cool with it, we should be too. Right.
1: Yeah. So bottom line, it's a bit far fetched. I understand. It's. I mean, I understand why it's a thing. I just don't think that this is necessarily worthy of that kind of a backlash, because I we we grew up in it, we grew up in a culture right now where this is we're keeping things equal for every race and every kind of person is just on the forefront. Uh So I understand why it's there. Uh, like I said, there are more there are different things that probably should have our attention turns more turn more towards. Right.
0: Well, are you ready to get into the plot?
1: Yes, I think it's time.
0: All right, listeners, if you have not seen Ghost in the Shell, the 2017 ScarJo version, then go ahead and pause the podcast right now because we will be spoiling the movie here in just a second. Go ahead and run down to your Redbox, your library, your local video store or streaming service. We live in the 21st century go ahead and watch the movie come back and hit play and we will be ready to talk about all of the spoilery details in the distant future the line between man and machine is ever blurring major mira killian is the first of her kind a human brain in a synthetic body she is created by hanka robotics and contracted as a super soldier for the department of defenses section 9. A terrorist, calling himself Kuze, is assassinating top Hanka scientists one by one. As Major begins to investigate, she learns all of these scientists were involved in Project 2571. I think that's right. Yeah. Once Major and Kuze come face to face, she learns Kuze came before Major in the project, but was discarded, so now he's out to make them pay for destroying his life. Major learns from her handler. Dr. Ulay, the truth that the project involved taking human brains and transplanting them into robots. Major, now more confused about her identity than ever, finds that she once was a human named Motoko, and that her mom is still alive and believes Motoko to be dead. Major traces the source of her visions. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to talk about the vision. So Major's been having visions, by the way, of like a burning house.
1: Right. And a cat. Can't forget the cat.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes, that is the most important part. So, Major traces the source of her visions to a house in the Lawless Zone. Kuze also arrives there. I don't know how. Coincidence. Yeah. And they come to the realization they were once friends. His name was Hideo. But Cutter, the head of Hanker Robotics, doesn't want the truth to get out. So, he puts a hit out on all of Section 9 and uses a spider tank to destroy the Major and Kuze. Section 9 defeats Cutter's assassins, and the head of Section 9, under authority of the Prime Minister, shoots Cutter dead. Kuze escapes into the grid, and Major is rescued by Section 9. Major reunites with her mother and sets out to fight crime with Section 9 as credits roll.
1: Interesting how this plot is very straightforward compared to the last three that we've talked about.
0: Oh yeah, I remember the last movie. I don't even know if I... I don't even remember what I said. I struggled to f- even formulate a plot.
1: Yeah, I know I had to help give some of the plot. And even I was trying to get some stuff out, but it's just always it hard to explain because it is just that complex.
0: Yeah, and I remember for the previous installments, I was like, here's the basic shell of the plot and yeah. then we'll just kind of get into it as we go. This movie is... An extremely basic, straightforward plot of a bad guy assassinating people. They have to stop him. Nothing is as it seems. The supposed good guys are actually the bad guys. The bad guy is somewhat of a good guy. They have a showdown. They defeat the bad guy. They win the day. A very superhero-like ending with a monologue, even major in a Spider-Man like stance at the very end is a very, I don't know, basic ghost in the shell type move. If you want something basic, if the first one hurts your head, second one is still not going to give you any relief. Third one is just going to, you know, melt your brains out go with the fourth one. It'll be straight as an arrow. Yeah. <laughs> will this not be confused.
1: Is... I think this is probably where we should begin talking about this movie because yeah, uh, That's kind of the biggest issue. Well, I wouldn't say the biggest issue. But one of the bigger issues for me personally is that watching this a second time was kind of a bore. Because I already knew everything that there was to this plot after my first viewing. And so going through, it was almost like... It was tedious, to say the least. Because I knew what was going to happen. Whereas in the last three... I was, I was excited to get back into to it again and watch it to find out what I was missing because those movies are, all three of those are so dense that multiple rewatches are almost required to understand those movies. This one is not necessarily that way. It's very straightforward. And, hmm, see, I don't, I'm, Depending – kind of on the fence of how much I like this because on the one hand, hey, at least you don't have to watch it and be frustrated for the first time. But on the other hand, those movies are complex for a reason and this is very simple, at least compared to those.
0: Yes. This movie is, I would say, fairly aesthetically pleasing. Like it looks really good. I still think the anime looks better. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does. But that's just surface level stuff. I mean, if you want to look at something nice, then this movie is worth it. But I don't know if if the issue with this plot being so straightforward and basic is because it went through so many writers or because they think an American audience wouldn't enjoy something so philosophical i don't know i i don't know i feel like they might have had honestly i feel like this they just wanted to make a basic movie and just kind of use ghost in the shell to as the skin for it i honestly don't think they're trying to dumb it down i think from everything i just understood they just wanted to make a basic action revenge movie
1: right and i would I personally would blame the more American style because, just in general, uh, American movies are always pretty simple and they're always hyper realistic and stuff. That's just how it is. And this, that being that as it may, Ghost in the Shell is not necessarily prepared for that kind of a style change. It could be a multiple reasons, like you were saying. It could be the multiple rewrites. It could be the American style. It could be that they wanted that they already had an action movie planned out, and they just put Ghost in the Shell skin on top of it. For all we know, it could be all three of those things. And the reason why this doesn't really work very well is because, as I mentioned just a second ago, these movies, the last three that we've reviewed, are pretty complex films. And when you try and dumb it down, you've lost... A lot of what makes Ghost in the Shell, Ghost in the Shell, very philosophical, questioning what does it mean to be human, what makes a human, questioning how information and humanity are linked together, things like that. Even the third one, although I would consider this be a bit more on the philosophical end than number three, it at least compensates for its complex plot, where in politics, which is what... Uh, which is is why I had a bit more fun watching it the second time, is because even though that was confusing, I was able to piece that part together. This one's very simple. It it doesn't need multiple rewatches. And I've said before that I don't need to watch a movie again. I don't need a movie to be rewatchable for me to like it. And I, I do think that I'd still stand by that. But being that this is a Ghost in the Shell movie and being very simple, it kind of brings it down for me because... I want those movies to be complex. Those are – I find joy in piecing together a puzzle in finding out what those philosophical ideas are in a a complex story. Whereas here, those are almost non-existent. They're there, but they're very simple.
0: I do think it has uh, some exciting sequences in this movie. Uh, clearly, they're not very original. They're basically just recreations of what we've already seen in yeah. the 95 anime. But I will say, when we first start this movie, I am into it. I'm excited. I do think it could be a little more exciting, but I think it all looks fairly well done. The action and the stunts, the way it's edited, the kind of cool geisha robots, which is also that's taken from... Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. And and
1: number two, I would say that as much, too.
0: Oh, yes. That is that is true, especially when they say, uh, help me.
1: Yeah, help me. Help me and please. then when, I think in the same, like, right after that, the face, like, opens up and you see the inside of, the inside mechanisms of it. That happens in two, like, the very beginning.
0: That's, that's exactly right. But uh, that kind of didn't pay off, I feel. Yeah. It was kind of a thread they
1: went to that scene in two with the doctor and the cigarette and stuff. They went there and then it just dropped completely.
0: Yeah, I was assuming, I was like, oh man, so they're kind of... I hadn't seen, the first time I saw this movie, this is the second time I've come to this movie. Uh, The first time I saw it, I had not seen Ghost in the Shell 2, so uh, I didn't make the connection there, but... That went down a whole plot line, that was the whole plot, and I thought, oh, they might be bringing in a similar element, where they are taking kind of young children and trapping them in these bodies, and, I mean, they're kind of doing that, I guess, they did kidnap people and do these experiments on them, but that has nothing to do with the geisha robots.
1: Right, yeah, they're very much a plot device in this story, which I think would have been interesting to see them do more stuff. Maybe not the same way that they did in 2, because that one's very centered towards those geisha robots. But I think it would have helped if they did more. They're just kind of, they're almost a throwaway idea here. Just kind of like, okay, well, this is in 2, so we have to have it. Okay, now we can move on.
0: Yes, Uh, this movie is very much a hodgepodge of ideas from other Ghost in the Shell material, because geisha robots trying to take... These business people captive is the plot of an episode of Standalone Complex, like I said. And then also in Ghost in the Shell 2, this whole opening scene is meant to mirror the very opening of the original Ghost in the Shell. Also, when she fights the trash truck man in the water, right. that's also pretty much another recreation. So, this movie is fairly much just a combo of other Ghost in the Shell material uh but as for the plot honestly i found myself uh tying back to v for vendetta at least the what wachowski's siblings uh version of the movie i very much saw kuze as guy fox because guy fox goes in, well okay if you haven't seen v for vendetta then you're missing out yeah um, i'm trying not to spoil it here but basically very similar plot elements and plot threads of killing scientists. He's not really the bad guy, you know, as it would seem kind of overthrowing the system, overthrowing the government, a big showdown at the end. So I just couldn't help but realize and think like, this is so similar to that, but it's not like that in itself is an original plot really to begin with. This is, especially when we get to the scene that, so I, I'm not trying to jump ahead here, but my, I can pinpoint my moment of just wanting to check out and being aggravated. And that was when Major and Kuze come face to face. And honestly, the acting is just bad there. Even from Scarlett Johansson, where she's just like, what? No, it can't be true. Yeah. Just that whole scene of nothing. Everything is a lie. Nothing is as it seems. I'm like, that is so unoriginal and boring.
1: Yeah, we've... How many times have we seen that <laughs> plot where nothing is as it seems? It's all a lie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That That's so overly used. It's unfortunate that Ghost in the Show had to take it. Yeah, um... I can definitely see where you find V for Vendetta. I've seen it once. I know you've seen it more than I have. But, yeah, I can definitely see where some of these plot points are coming in that are very similar. But... Now, in terms of the villain, and maybe I'm jumping a bit too far ahead here, but after, okay, after the scene when he reveals to Scarlett Johansson, which probably is the one you're just talking about, when he says to her, you're not the first one, I was in the same place you were, I'm a failed experiment. To me, when I watched it for the first, the first viewing for this podcast, I realized to myself, why isn't the movie about him? That is such an interesting idea to follow a character who is basically Major Motoko or was meant to be, but then turns out was a failed experiment. And now he's just kind of in this broken down, half-working body. That seems like such an interesting idea and could dive into so many different philosophical themes that it would make a great film, but instead we're following... Major Mira, who turns out is Major Motoko, it just feels like, it feels like they, the filmmakers felt as if they had an obligation to make sure that they get these certain points where they have to show this scene with the guy, the trash man in the water overlooking the city. We have to do this scene, which is when she jumps off the roof, which is the famous opening of the first one. It feels like there was an obligation, like there's a checklist. They had to go down and make sure that they get these certain elements to ring in the audience who are fans of the first one. And one of those is bringing in Motoko, which ends up being more of a red herring, more or less. She comes in later and isn't necessarily Motoko, but regardless, to me, the villain Kira, who isn't even in this very much, is far more interesting than, I would say, anything that's in this movie. And for some reason, we get hardly any screen time with him.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you as well. And it is unfortunate we don't get much with him because from what the actor said, he created a lot of backstory for the character for himself. And really that's not translated onto the screen. Yeah. He just kind of has to operate within the script, which is extremely generic, especially in this revelation scene. All we really know is they're kind of these runaway type kids they just want to be free from their parents they want to live in the lawless zone and have fun and just i don't know be these vagabonds or something and they're just taken away to be experimented upon it's interesting it's like we said it's still not wholly original uh but i did find it interesting that according to the special features on the disc the kuze character is a combination between the puppet master from the first movie the Laughing Man from Standalone Complex and a character named Kuze from Standalone Complex 2. Hmm. And they showed footage of all of them. So it's, I mean, those are all incredible characters, but I just feel like we don't get, that should be an epic character. And I just think from what we get, we don't get that right. on the screen. Right,
1: And you know, this phrase, the movie is only as good as the villain. There is really hardly any villain here. I would just say in general we the villain here is very confusing The oh, I guess I should probably say the antagonist of the story is kind of jumps all over the place because at first it, we think it's Kuze and then when we, they meet turns out no he's actually a good guy and then turns out that the bad guy is actually the doctor who I would who I would now claim as Dr. Exposition because really the only thing she does <laughs> is just spew exposition and then turns out Oh, it wasn't her fault. It was this other guy's fault. The same, I forget his name, but there's a guy who wants to bring down Section 9. At least in this certain area of the movie, the antagonist just kind of jumps all over the place and it reaches a guy that I could care less about. He's not an interesting character in the slightest compared to Kuze, who even if he ended up being the villain of the whole story, it would have made it so much better. But we only spend, I would say, maybe seven minutes with him on screen. And that's kind of being gracious with it. It's, it feels like their intentions, like I said, were more towards a checklist than they were telling a compelling story.
0: Yes. Uh, speaking of that doctor, I really did get annoyed with her character. I just felt her acting, her line delivery was just fairly bland. And I think that just kind of goes to everybody. It's just kind of bland in this movie. Um, I do think everybody is trying their best. Everybody seemed very excited to be a part of this, but there's just not a whole lot of uh, meat to chew on here. Yeah.
1: I mean, they're trying to capture the style, which is always pretty monotone uh, of Ghost Mm -hmm. in the Shell, but as you were saying, it doesn't really give them enough time, enough to act with and show off that they are good actors or actresses. It just is kind of monotone.
0: What did you think of Bato?
1: Parts of me are wondering why he's even in this movie because I understand his importance, but I don't feel like he's absolutely necessary because it's okay. It is interesting. We get the dog back. We get Gabriel back here and they do kind of push that further. But for all I know, it could be in something else that's in Ghost in the Shell with so with with the cat, as we kind of mentioned earlier with the dreams, because Bato is very much is very much focused in linked towards the dog, Gabriel, which is like this old Beagle. And as we talked about in Ghost in the Show Two Innocence, that Beagle is more or less a representation of reality. And they do talk about real fake versus reality versus fantasy in this movie a number of times. Which is interesting because then Motoko slash Mira is more, is more of an image towards a cat. Which I think is just interesting. But, yeah, I wish he did more. He just kind of feels like he's there... For the story, not just there because he's needed.
0: Yeah, I think he looks okay. I feel like they could have got maybe somebody to look a little closer to him. Right. I don't think his eyes look as good as they could have. Yeah, they
1: look a bit smaller than they should.
0: It's a little odd. Yeah. And yeah, he kind of... Just, just like with everybody in this, they're just all kind of background players, I feel. Um even the head of Section 9, he is so deadpan with everything, uh, no expressions whatsoever. Yeah, and the only um, character
1: who speaks Japanese for some reason.
0: Yeah, I didn't get that either. Um, in, the spe- in the special features, he only spoke Japanese, which makes me think he might not know English. Hmm. But uh, also, they brought back in... like, um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he's been in all of the movies. He was... Uh, Bato's sidekick in oh, the second one. Togusa. Togusa yeah. was in it also, but they were all just like, just background players too.
1: And it's unfortunate too because Major. Togusa was hardly used. If I could pick any of the characters to write out, it would have been Togusa because he does basically nothing in this movie. And being a character yes. who is basically all human, they could have played off of that but they don't for some reason. And for a story that's focused on human brains being put inside these mechanical bodies, you would think that they would focus more on Togus' character, who is completely human, but they only serve it as one line, and then that's it. He does hardly anything. He's basically a worthless character in the story.
0: The other thing that does frustrate me, uh, just tying back to the villain here, is this villain clearly is super powerful. Because he is assassinating everybody he's getting the best of them he can hack into anything he seemingly can do anything so if he is this powerful why would they throw him away because he doesn't look good or something i I don't think that's the case because they're talking about like how he can like transfer bodies or something i just was thinking about like wait a minute so this guy is super powerful powerful than all of you and he's a failed experiment how so? That just bothered me.
1: Right. From what I gathered, they were more or less going for
0: basically what, Frankenstein.
1: what- Yeah, Frankenstein. They were basically going for whatever Mira turned out to be, uh, except only kind of, because then they tried to kill her later on. But regardless, he had issues with his brain communicating with the rest of the body, if I remember that right. It ultimately doesn't really matter, except that we know that he is also the same as Mira, they gone through the same thing, but he was just a failed experiment.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, but in the original ghost in the shell, it is briefly hinted at in a dropped line that major did used to have like a human body or something, or she had a human brain. Is that right?
1: She has pieces of a human brain in her, but she's for the most part is a cyborg. Uh, There are small bits of human brain inside of her, I guess, shell But for the most part, she's basically a
0: cyborg. Okay, I felt like I remembered there being some hint of her having a past life where she possibly was a human or something like that. So I feel like they're just kind of extrapolating on like tiny bits that are just maybe hinted at in the other movies. And they're trying to make a story out of it with her family and background and just... Right. different people but I, I mean honestly everybody in this is fairly cookie cutter I feel yeah.
1: yeah which is so unfortunate because these characters at least in one and two are just so interesting because of the way like in the first one I pointed out the scene on the boat uh, when she talks about perception and it's such an interesting idea coming from mostly cyborg and mostly a robot to, for her to say this kind of stuff yeah the here they're pretty flat they aren't necessarily very dynamic i would say at least mira gets something and kira or uh, kuza gets something i guess but they're really the only two characters that i would even say go anywhere nobody else really does anything uh at least they don't really have much of a character arc
0: no they they really don't and i feel like i just i eventually i just don't care about the arc of this movie Anyways, uh, no matter how much action they can put it put in this movie, because they are really just trying to drive home the action of it all. Just kind of focusing on, uh, oh, my gosh, she's actually was a human. All this horrible thing is done. And I, I really got this from the special features were fairly insightful because they think they're writing this amazing thing about what does it mean to be human and have family and what, what does it mean to have an identity? And they're like, uh, within our lifetime, this will happen. There'll be a brain in a robot. And I'm like, well, I didn't, you guys didn't really, uh, give me much to think about. <laughs> yeah. while watching this movie. Right. Um, I, I just got to say, I, I wasn't too invested. I did think it was interesting that, uh, Mira is actually Motico And they're different bodies and she still has a mom and uh, just different person. Uh, I I mean, I guess I found that to be somewhat interesting, but ultimately I didn't care too much. And I thought the final fight with the spider thing was fine. Not as good as the original, but that's just mostly my thoughts on this movie entirely. Um, I liked the visuals when she did the deep dive.
1: Yeah, those. Into the robot. Yeah, those are pretty interesting. I'll, I'll give you that much. Um, I think my, I think the thing that kind of wraps this whole movie up in my mind is that there is no weight to this movie. It just kind of feels like a series of events that are more or less references to other events that happened in better movies or better. Better pieces of media, I guess I could, I guess I could say. Because in at least the first two, because I, I can at least judge those, you feel this weight because Motoko is struggling to understand what does it mean to be human because she herself is so close to being a human, both biologically, and at least in terms of her mind, and then physically, she's more of art, she's more artificial that she begins wondering, it makes sense. And it, you really feel that towards the end because she needs to figure out how in the world does the puppet master do this? It's clear that in that movie that he was very much, right, spoilers for that movie, I guess. It's clear that he's very much artificial intelligence. He's created his own ghost, more or less. You don't get that here. The, there is, it's kind of referenced here and there, but it's, you don't get that same weight. It's very streamlined. It's, Nothing that goes too deep for whatever reason. And that's so unfortunate because I think that if they had done it right, this could have been a really good movie. But instead we get this Americanized utopian view of Ghost in the Shell, which is not what Ghost in the Shell really is when you really think about it. Because it is asking those scary questions and diving deeper into this meeting of humanity and focusing deeper in the mind and those japanese ideals this doesn't really do that it's once again very surface level plays it in plays it very safe which is something i find myself repeating with this with all these american blockbusters that are coming out uh,
0: and another thing that i didn't uh, really like about this movie was uh, I guess just how grimy it all felt, but then also how kind of bright and colorful. I felt like just those uh, visual tones clashed for me. So although the story was fairly straightforward, I felt they were having some trouble keeping some consistent w- consistency with the look of the movie.
1: Yeah, I don't think I like this movie, at least its look. I don't think it looks... It looks fine, but in terms of a Ghost in the show movie, it's too pretty. And that's kind of the yes. big problem, <laughs> is that it's too perfect. Once again, utopia, it's just an American thing. But it's it's too perfect. It's not... Because, okay, I honestly feel that the original anime, which is animated, it's a cartoon, more or less, is more realistic and more engaging and than this movie is, which is a live-action adaptation with air quotes, than that is. And I find that crazy to say.
0: I also found the score of this movie to just wear on my nerves, honestly. It felt incredibly generic, too monotonous, and I was really missing uh, Kenji Kawai's score from the original movie. And only in the closing credits do we get the original theme. I was just so disappointed with this score and with their choices. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this score is not very good. I will say at least I'll give it some credit. It doesn't, it isn't as generic as every other score out there, but is not really anything all that special. Unfortunately, be at least we get, yes, at least at the very end credits we get, we get that original theme. I guess it's actually a mashup of the theme from one and two. But and we I guess we do kind of get hints of that of those Bulgarian harmonies and the Bulgarian choir that comes in only once or twice, and it really isn't anything that's that big of a deal. It's it, the music has taken a huge step backwards. It's taken a huge back seat. It's basically sitting in the trunk of this car of Ghost in the Shell. Because in the original, music was heavily used and it was heavily pointed towards because it's very important to the story that they have this music and the way that it's composed and things like that. This one, not necessarily... They're using it to help craft the scene instead of incorporating it into the story. It's it is very underwhelming. And there is one track uh, I th- that's out there. It's on Spotify. This is the original track that I heard because I heard that they were redoing the score and that they were pulling back in those harmonies from the original. And they did... But then the second half of the song goes straight dubstep, and it's to- that There are two sides to this entire song. It feels really cut in half. It's like two different songs put together. It doesn't work. It's it's very interesting that they chose not to put a heavy emphasis on this on the music when in the original two, the the music there was. Very heavily utilized, like abused almost to a point because it is that important to the story.
0: Well, do you have anything else to say about this movie? <sighs> Honest, I mean, I guess I've kind
1: of already said this, but. This movie just kind of feels like a collection of scenes from other Ghost in the Shell properties. And they put it all into a movie and put a American glaze over top of it and said, ta-da, Ghost in the Shell. It feels like a collection, like you took a bunch of Lego pieces and made your own creation and it isn't as cool as the one that comes with the instructions. It just doesn't feel like it's organic enough for it to be a Ghost in the Shell movie. Other than that, I I don't know. So, I think we've basically touched on it all.
0: So, I, yeah, I just don't feel like this movie <laughs> warrants too much more of our time. Yeah, I, that's kind of
1: the problem, uh, though. We'll There's nothing time. really to talk about, which is so unfortunate.
0: It is unfortunate. This is the end of the retrospective. At least so far, I guess. Maybe we'll come back in 10 years or right. so. <laughs> with the Hopefully,
1: OCE comes back. That'd be cool. I like that. Oh, yeah.
0: That'd be awesome. Well, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Ghost in the Shell 2017 version?
1: It's kind of funny. Um, My favorite part of this movie was when it ended because we got that really cool mishmash of the two themes from Ghost in the Shell 1 and 2. I did really enjoy that, and that unfortunately is the best part of this movie. Because it has the most weight to it. Everything else here is pretty deadpan. And uh, to be honest, I don't even think that Scarlett Johansson does that great of a job. I think she could have done much better than what she was given. And I've seen her do much better than than this. But I don't feel like she does the greatest here. But at least it isn't that bad. Anyways, the uh, 75% of this movie feels like pieces from other Ghost in the Shell movies. The remaining 20% is more cliches, and then the remaining 5% is actually original. It it doesn't feel like a completely organic story to me. It just kind of, like I said, a collection of pieces. Now, for the record, this does touch on more philosophical elements than 3 does. And for that, I am very grateful that they actually mentioned those things. Unfortunately, I find 3 to be... A more interesting story because even though it is more dense and probably to its downfall, it is more interesting because of that. It, I can go back and I can piece together the movie. I tried watching this again and I got about halfway through and I shut it off because I'm like, I know what happens. It, this is just a bore to me. It It's not one that carries really much of anything. And that's so unfortunate that I have to say because Ghost in the Show, at least one and two and pieces of three are just so interesting because they are so detailed and so dense that that's what makes them so interesting and so impactful for what audience they're trying to go for it because of those reasons that's what makes them classics at least the first one and unfortunately this is so Americanized that it and for those who have listened to our podcasts I'm not a fan of the American style I like more than more than just surface level stuff in my movies. <sighs> I guess and really all just depends. If you like the American style, then you'll probably enjoy this movie. If you like Ghost in the Shell, you probably won't like this movie. Five out of ten mm, not recommend. I there's nothing here for me to recommend. It's just a collection of stuff. Uh, I, I that's it. I don't have much else to say than that
0: yeah ghost of the shell is aesthetically pleasing it touches on some potentially interesting aspects that we really don't explore this movie is very easy to follow it's very paint my numbers uh very very much you know a leads to b b leads to c you can follow it fairly well uh like I said, everything's pretty generic, pretty cookie cutter. It's got some pretty decent action, some pretty decent choreography with that action. So there are some things to be potentially enjoyed with this movie. But does that warrant sitting through an hour and 46 minute, however long movie it is? Honestly, I don't think so. Uh, You, I think that's, Uh, This movie did bad at the box office. It's the lowest rated Ghost in the Shell movie. It makes me either want to watch V for Vendetta or it makes me want to watch Blade Runner. Either of those. It's just trying to be something that it really isn't. Uh, And that's very disappointing. It's unfortunate because I do think they could have done a lot better with this movie. But I guess if you just want a basic Ghost in the Shell movie of the other ones, if you don't want to just sit through something very philosophical and visual and you just want a more action-oriented movie, then this does work on that level. But honestly, I I really thought about this movie, uh, whether I could recommend it or not, because to a point I was going to recommend it, but then I said it's really when it got into that, just that arena where it's just all so basic of oh man everything's a lie what have you been doing we've just seen this time and again and honestly there's nothing really that sets this movie apart to warrant that plot or uh, just make it an exception to it i guess i should say so yeah i lined up exactly with what alan thought i'm gonna go with a five out of ten also and it does come with a mild recommend i don't think this movie is horrible i don't hate it so it's not like a strong not recommend or anything but yeah ultimately it's still not a recommend there's better things for you to go out and watch and we've named a couple of them in this podcast anyway but i do want us to rank the movies now that the retrospective has come to a close right so i want to hear your ranking of starting with uh your most favorite to your least favorite
1: Yes. Uh No, I, I can at least give the first two. One and two. Goes right down the line. One and two. When it comes to the new movie and the 2017 Ghost in the Shell, this is the hardest part. Because for me, they could go either way. There are things in three that are worse than things in the new one or 2017 version. But there are things in the 2017 version that far outweigh the one from the new movie. And... It's really hard. I'm probably going to have to say that it goes right down the line. One, two, new movie, and then 2017. But those two are so close that it could almost go either way. But I think because I was more willing to return to the third one, or I guess to the new movie, I'll have to put that just ever so slightly above 2017.
0: I think you're gonna find my order to be very interesting. Actually. Oh, I, I'm actually
1: excited to hear about this.
0: So I thought about this a decent amount, and it should be no surprise to everybody that, of course, the 1995 Ghost in the Shell is my number one pick. Clearly, that movie isn't very long; it's basically an hour and fifteen minutes, so it's easily rewatchable. There's so much there to begin with. It looks beautiful. I, I love it. Yeah, we gave it a. I gave it a really big high recommend. So what about the second movie in my list? Well, I was debating whether uh, I would actually pick this movie or Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. And I think they're on very much opposite ends of the spectrum. I think I I personally felt Innocence uh, was so philosophical that it just was shoving it in our faces. And it was just way too on the nose because they're literally quoting philosophers and that was kind of taking me out of the experience where it almost just felt like this you know philosophy class or brainy quotes or something whereas this movie i could just sit down and enjoy an aesthetically pleasing action movie whereas i uh, had trouble being pleased with watching the second movie although it although i will say it looks better than this movie the second one does look better but honestly, I got to say I probably watched this 2017 movie before Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. I might have just committed blasphemy, but
1: <laughs> I can't believe... <sighs> By the way, I have that Blu-ray. Now I bought it. I just oh really? bought
0: it. Yes. Oh, very nice. So, I have to very let nice. you borrow it now and make you change your mind. I <laughs> I do want to give it a second shot, but I just remember being so turned off by it was just, it ultimately just became nothing but quoting philosophy. And I'm like, okay, you're just messing it up for me. Anyways, so honestly, I'd probably watch the 2017 version second. Then for third, it would be Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. And then my final pick would be Ghost in the Shell, the new movie, because that movie is incomprehensible. And that's not our fault. You literally have to watch a couple hours of. The TV show arise in order to fully get the entire plot and character backgrounds, which I think is kind of ridiculous that they decided to make a movie and release it in theaters and make us watch it and not give it's just not fleshed out at all. Uh, No, that movie. I did not appreciate that movie at all. I can't even understand it, nor am I even going to try because I would have to do so much more homework. But yeah, that's my list. Uh, Original Ghost in the Shell, the remake slash reboot, uh, reimagining, whatever you want to call it, Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, and then Ghost in the Shell, the new movie. It's kind of funny because out of this whole retrospective, I've only recommended one movie, the very original. I have given not recommends to the previous three.
1: Yeah, I had the first two recommends for me and then the third one I was... Very, very close to giving it a not recommend, but it ultimately got a very mild micro recommend. This I still one I can't is, believe you gave it a recommend. Yeah. See, I still stay, I always think about that too. I walked out of that podcast. I'm just like, was that a good idea? And then I watched this one and I said, yes, it was a good idea because this movie's better. But went by the way, and I think that that kind of goes to show that we just haven't seen the TV show. So there's more to the TV show that leads into this movie that could make, potentially make it better. Anyways, yeah.
0: Well, that wraps it up for our Ghost in the Shell retrospective series. So unfortunate that we ended up it, this movie. It is well. It's like Alan said to begin with. This movie was just, well, not just this movie, but the whole series. Personally, I felt was just a ladder, just or or a staircase. It just kept going down, down, down. Uh, hopefully, we will. Maybe get something Ghost in the Shell related that will be awesome and we will love it. Honestly, I kind of don't think we need any more from everything I've heard. As for the anime, they said Arise is the style the series is heading towards. I've still got plenty of standalone complex to watch, which I thought was phenomenal and dealt with philosophical issues in half an hour pretty well. Uh, but I've got the original to, to return to. I still haven't seen all of Ghost in the Shell 2.0 which Mamoru Oshii came back and did with uh, some kind of cool CGI graphics. Uh, I've still got that to watch. So uh, I've still got enough to last me forever. So I really don't need a new movie per se. I I,
1: I just hope that they don't remake or they don't make another American movie like this, because I mentioned this before. The American style, at least here, doesn't, work very well because Japan's more mind in inward mind beliefs are much different than our American way of thinking and our American worldview. And as probably evident of this movie, it doesn't really work very well trying to maneuver a story that's primarily centered inside and uh, a celebration of the human mind and moving that to an American way. Don't think it works very well here, but maybe they can make it work. I don't know.
0: Well, it is telling that I was nearly finished with this movie. Uh, I had written out, you know, a decent amount of notes for it, and the program I was using, FocusWriter, just decided to crash, and everything was gone. Ah, uh, yes, it likes to do that from time to time. <laughs> but I didn't feel the need to uh, to click rewind and start over and get those notes back. So yeah, I just did this review from memory and, uh, it's pretty basic. I really didn't need all those notes for it. Yeah. And those notes are gone. Those are, those are lost forever as they should be kind of with this movie.
1: And I probably should also say that I have my notes right here next to you on screen. And I only looked at it for the opening and the closing. (laughs) (laughs) And because I oh. need those for background information and final thoughts going through bullet points. Yes. Everything else, I didn't touch it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just... Well, enough said about that. That <laughs> is where, that's where we'll leave you, listeners. So thank you so much for coming along with us on our retrospective series of Ghost in the Shell. But we want to know what you think is... Am I wrong? Are these movies incredible? Is this 2017 version a pretty decent movie after all? Uh, Is the new movie great? I don't know. I know some other reviewers uh, don't hold the same opinion as us. So let us know your thoughts on this movie in the comment section below. Make sure to, uh, if you like this podcast, then go ahead and uh, share it with your friends. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, we love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you, and that's what Silver Screen Guide is all about, is giving you a guide to the cinemas that we can talk about together. We got a lot of great more content coming up here soon, doing a lot more podcasts. The one I'm most excited about is Halloween this October. That, that was a long retrospective series, uh, about, what, 10 months? Uh, yeah, to...
1: there are 10 movies, so yeah, 10 months in total.
0: Yeah, so I'm very excited for that movie. I'm also really excited to, to rip on Halloween Resurrection here soon. So, From what I've
1: seen, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty bad. Pretty excited.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a fun one, listeners. I'm not going to try and hide like I might recommend that movie. Um, no, it's... It's terrible, and we're going to have fun talking about that. That's that's oh, no surprise.
1: <laughs> yeah. Once, as usual, I'll probably go in with a pretty open mind and try to be fair enough to it. But we'll see what happens. Oh. I haven't been the very biggest fan of the last few movies.
0: If you so go listen to our uh, our uh, we finished up our Jurassic World Jurassic Park series. Alan had some very strong, harsh things to say about that. Well, if he felt that way about that movie, then just wait till you hear him talk about Halloween Resurrection. Oh, no. Oh, it's going to be fun. You're not going to want to miss that episode. Uh, we've got a bunch more uh, things coming up to look forward to. Also, if you want some more bonus podcasts, if you want commentaries on movies, our thoughts on movie news, then go ahead uh, in the link in the description. Go ahead and check out our Patreon. Uh, it's very cheap. You'll get a lot of great content for uh, little... Uh, Just very little money. So uh, skip Starbucks for today and go ahead and uh, get some great content there on Patreon. We want to thank you for your listenership and for subscribing. Uh, Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for all the latest posts so you never miss anything. You can also do it through email if you like on the website where we do some more written reviews and in-depth guides and stuff. So once again, listeners, thank you for joining us with uh, Ghost in the Shell series. We will be coming back very soon with some more great reviews, and we will catch you next time. Ghost in the smell that's what this movie should be called ghost in the smell